Our text is Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. You open your Bibles, navigate on your device to the first chapter of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. The topic, the Apostle John begins the revelation of Jesus Christ by announcing that the time is near. The title of our message, O brothers, near art thou. Let's have a word of prayer. I heard that, Pat. Father, thank you so much for this uh, brief time that we have together to worship you, to join our voices in a chorus of praise before the throne of God. We pray for grace and mercy from that throne this morning, as is promised us in the word. Take us through these scriptures, Lord, with an eye towards encouraging us, strengthening us, blessing us, Lord, with your, uh, the knowledge of you and with your presence here in this place. And of course, if there's anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you, they've never really met you in a saving way, had their sins forgiven and been born again, uh, we trust your Holy Spirit to be working on their hearts to draw them to Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name and those who agreed said, amen. I love Easter eggs, not the bunny kind. Those are for the kiddos, unless they have money in them. How many of you put, how many of you put money in your eggs? Anybody put money? Yeah, man, we're, we're really up in the ante this year. I can't tell you, but the kids are excited. And not the Cadbury kind, although those are the best. Is there anything better than a Cadbury egg? I'm going to enter one Cadbury egg in the pie contest this year. And I'm going to win because it's so good, uh, even though it's not a pie. Those things are fantastic. I'm talking about the big screen Easter eggs. They are messages or characters, images hidden in the background of movies. They're called Easter eggs because you have to sort of hunt to find them. They've become prolific in feature films. For example, the number A113 appears somewhere in almost every Pixar film. A113 is a classroom number at the California Institute of the Arts. It was the classroom for first-year graphic design and character animation, where many of the animators at Pixar and Disney and several other studios discovered and mastered their craft. Other Pixar Easter eggs, in one scene during Toy Story 3, a Nemo sticker can be seen on the side of Andy's dresser. When Boo returns home at the end of Monsters, Inc., she gives Sully a doll of Jesse from Toy Story 2. Supervillain Bomb Voyage from The Incredibles appears in the background of Ratatouille as a mime. As a young boy waits in the dentist's office in Finding Nemo, he's reading a Mr. Incredible comic. Pixar isn't the only studio hiding Easter eggs. Raiders of the Lost Ark has lots of them. There are even web pages dedicated to showing you where they are. At one point, Indiana Jones is holding up a gold artifact, and the hieroglyphics on it show both C-3PO and R2-D2. <laughs> Sticking with Star Wars, in Episode 1, the action starts with a council meeting. The pods are discussing the state of the Federation, and if you pause the scene and scan around, in one of the pods you can see E.T. and his family. Now, I'm not sure I'd call them Easter eggs, but scattered throughout the revelation of Jesus Christ are approximately 550 references to future events that are from the Old Testament. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, as you are reading the revelation, you recognize those hidden things. Now, I mentioned that to Gino the other day, and he commented that the revelation is like a code book, and that got me to thinking. You've maybe heard from a person or from a pulpit that the revelation is almost impossible to understand. They approach it as if it were an enigma, as something strange and mysterious. It is an enigma, but not that kind. 
Some of you will remember that in World War II, the German military command used a machine to encode strategic messages. Films like U-571 and The Imitation Game dramatized the capture and the decoding of the machine. It was called the Enigma. The revelation of Jesus Christ, that's the kind of enigma that it is. It is a decoder of these many familiar Old Testament references. One of the scholars we trust, Arnold Fruchtenbaum, how can you not trust a guy with that name, <laughs> has this to say about the value of the revelation. The Old Testament prophecies, he says, are scattered throughout the books of Moses and the various prophets and writings. It would have been impossible to put these prophecies into any chronological sequence of events. The value of the book of Revelation is not that it provides a lot of new information, but rather that it takes the scattered Old Testament prophecies and puts them in chronological order so that the sequence of events may be determined. This book provides a framework for understanding of the order and sequence of events found in the Old Testament prophecies. Now, the very first phrase from which we derive the book's title tells you it is designed to reveal rather than conceal. Verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. Revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis from which we get our word apocalypse. Pop culture has us thinking that the apocalypse is some horrifying, hopeless, dystopian future. The popular zombie apocalypse is representative of the use of the word. Think Walking Dead or World War Z. Not that you've seen any of these since you're Christians. But anyway, <laughs> you've heard of them, I'm sure. Those dramas are just the tip of a very deep iceberg. Hollywood has been churning out apocalyptic films at an unprecedented rate. If you uh, search for apocalyptic films, uh, you can get a list of them going back to this, you know, pretty far. Uh, and there's a lot of them throughout the years, but more and more and more in the last few years than ever. Educational television has the apocalypse on its mind, too. The Discovery Channel has a post-apocalyptic reality show called The Colony, in which contestants must survive a dystopian scenario. Nothing could be farther from reality. While they get the word apocalypse from the Bible, they're ignorant of its true meaning and of the future. Apocalypse actually means an uncovering or an unveiling. It is the uncovering or the unveiling of Jesus Christ as the coming king, coming to crush the devil and establish a kingdom on earth then on into eternity. And so in one sense, it's not the end of humanity, it's really the beginning of a glorious future. The revelation isn't that story, it's the forecast for the end of sin and Satan and death. Often it's called revelations with an S at the end. And while it does show many, many things, it is meant to be read as revealing one person, Jesus. We're to see him literally on every page. Everything that we read in the apocalypse is to reveal the person and work of Jesus Christ. What about when stars are falling from heaven and the sun is scorching humans? In those and all the other disasters, we see the grace of God's wrath against sin, still giving lost sinners opportunity to be saved by Jesus. Will it be terrible? Absolutely. Jesus said there's no time like that ever on the earth. A lot of people think we've been through a tribulation or that we're in the tribulation. Jesus said, there's never been a time like that, nor ever will, and it will be global. And if he hadn't returned 
it would end humanity, but he will return. And so uh, when people say we're in the tribulation, they obviously haven't read Revelation. And then you think, well, how is Jesus glorified in that? Because he is putting the hammer down, as it were, and saying, look, this is happening so that you will turn to me. I've tried grace. We have this entire age of grace in which we live, from the resurrection of Jesus Christ through this present time up until the great tribulation. And, and the Lord is going with grace. He's letting Christians be persecuted and weakened so that he can be made strong through them so others can see the glory of God. Grace upon grace upon grace. And when that doesn't work, eventually he removes the church from earth, the dead in Christ are raised, and he tries judgment for the last time. He says, here's what, and he warns people. He tells them, this is what's coming and what to do about it, repent and be saved. And so that's why we titled our series, The Grace of Wrath, when we were in the book of the Revelation. And so in it, yeah, there's some terrible things that happen, but they're all designed to show Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead. By the way, it may seem obvious since this is Easter Sunday, but I'll go ahead and point it out. This book presents Jesus as risen from the dead, as very much alive and glorified. It announces that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's the apocalypse. It's the revealing of Jesus as the soon and coming king. God the Father, it says, gave Jesus this unveiling. Jesus Christ is God, of course. He's equal with God. But in terms of the plan of salvation, he remains subordinate to his Father's will. Jesus then gave the unveiling of himself to an unnamed angel who then gave it to John for him to write it down for us. It sounds like we call, uh, what we call the telephone game where the message can get messed up as it goes from person to person, but it didn't. Twice in the book it declares, these words are faithful and true. The Bible, it was God-breathed and it remains reliable as the word of God. Nothing was lost in translation. This unveiling, it says, is to show his servants. The Lord wants us to see him as he is now in heaven and as he will be at his second coming. It's as if he's saying, look at me. Where are you looking in the various areas of your life for help or for hope or for satisfaction or for purpose or for acknowledgement or really for anything? The, the things that our heart craves, the thing that our lives seem to lack, Jesus says, why don't you turn and look at me? Turn away from the world, turn away from all these other things that can't satisfy and look at me. I'm risen from the dead. I have resurrection power to share with you. Uh, there is hope in eternity, all those kinds of things. If you're here this morning and you may be feeling hopeless or you're in a tight situation or something tough, look at Jesus. And, and uh, it, not in just a, some kind of a you know, pie-in-the-sky kind of a way, but, but he offers you a real uh, experience of power, the, the power that rose Jesus from the dead is available to each and every one of us as we come to Christ. Jesus gave us the promise of the Holy Spirit. He came on Pentecost and he's never left. When you become a Christian, he indwells you. You're indwelt by God. You're able to say no to things you would say yes to and yes to things you would have said no to. You can do the things that God has desired for you and your whole outlook and attitude should change. If you're a Christian, get back on track. Where's your joy? Where's the excitement about your love for the Lord? What can separate you from the love of Christ, which is in Christ Jesus? Nothing, really, unless we allow it to. Jesus says, turn away, look at me. 
the things which must shortly take place. That's often misunderstood to mean that all the prophecies of the book were to be fulfilled and have been fulfilled soon after they were given. Shortly is uh, the word entakai, and it means quickly or suddenly. Our word tachometer comes from it. When you floor your accelerator pedal, the tachometer redlines. In the context of end times events, it means that once these events begin, then it will be pedal to the metal. It doesn't mean they were going to happen soon. It means when they start, they don't stop. There's no stopping them. Uh, It's just all systems go. You know, out in the world, you watch these specials on television where they draw in the Bible, they talk about the apocalypse, then they bring all this other literature from different religions and stuff. They always leave you with the idea that if we would just get it together, uh, you know, just recycle. All we did, if if, if everybody recycled or whatever it is that they're pushing... Uh, you know, uh, if we were all vegetarians, if, if whatever it is, then everything would be great and we would stave off this judgment. And Revelation isn't saying this is going to happen soon. It says when this happens, and mostly here we're talking about the great tribulation, it's not going to stop. It can't be stopped. It's set. And it's because it, it's going to lead up to the return of Jesus Christ, which is the only hope that this planet has. And so it doesn't mean that it, it has been fulfilled or it would be fulfilled shortly. Signified, I love that word. It means through signs or symbols. This is one of my favorite things to share. I share it all the time. Those of you who are regulars know that. Stop and think about signs for a moment. We use signs and symbols whenever we want to be clear whenever we don't want to be misunderstood. Signs and symbols are better than language because they are universal. It doesn't matter what language you speak when it comes to a symbol or a sign. If you do any traveling overseas in foreign countries where they don't speak English, are there such places? Anyway, uh, isn't that the universal language? But uh, anyway... Uh, you depend on signs. Signage tells you what to do, what not to do. Something with a line drawn through it isn't somebody playing tic-tac-toe. You know, you say, don't turn that way, those kinds of things. Nobody puts up a sign to, be, uh, to confuse people unless it's in a roundabout. Uh, <laughs> I've been challenging the roundabout. The la- Is the Armona roundabout done? If there's one city in the United States that needs a roundabout... <laughs> Could you be at that meeting? How about, what was that meeting like? It's like, hey, I know we need to build, we're on for uh, 27 roundabouts this year. Where can we build one that's be really uh, necessary? Uh, this town, Armona, is crying, <laughs> crying for a roundabout. But uh, actually, the sign is, I, it confuses me, but everything confuses me. Uh, the sign is actually very clear with its little squiggly arrows and pedestrians and things like that. And, and so... Uh, you know, I know if there's a person walking, a stick figure, there's liable to be a person there. I see a deer. I, I think maybe the deer is going to jump in front of me, you know, that kind of a thing. And so signs. So when people say, I can't understand the revelation because it's filled with signs, what a moron. That's like saying, I, I can't travel around the world because the bathrooms have signs on them and I won't know what to do. It, it's crazy when you think about it. So how are we to interpret the signage? Well, first, as already noted, you're going to encounter signs and symbols that were already defined by their use in the Old Testament. There's 550 at least Easter eggs that you see. For example, 
There's a strange scene in chapter 12 of the Revelation involving a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Freaky! But you recognize it from the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, where in chapter 37, it is identified as the 12 tribes of Israel. So when you read that and encounter that Easter egg, you already know what it's talking about. Second, quite often when you encounter a sign or a symbol in the Revelation, if you'll read just a little further, you're told what it means. In this very chapter, chapter 1, John sees seven stars and seven gold lampstands. Almost immediately at the end of the chapter, you're told the seven stars are angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are seven churches. And so everything is either predefined by its use in the Old Testament or it is defined for you so that you can gain an understanding of the end times. Do you remember learning how to outline something you had written? Those, you know, number one, A, B, C, and all the minor points. Sometimes your points went way over here, that kind of a thing. I, I was never good at that either. But you, you did it to give the reader a roadmap to help him or her. My outline was longer than my paper. But anyway, <laughs> Jesus gave us an outline to follow for reading the entire book. Look at verse 19 if you're in chapter 1. Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. Write the things which you have seen. In verse 12 of chapter 1, John said, I turned. And then he described what he saw. John saw the risen Lord, Jesus Christ. Chapter 1 is the things which you have seen. Then in chapters 2 and 3, Jesus dictates seven letters to seven churches. The seven churches are the things which are. We say that they also refer to the entire church age because each of them ends by saying to all Christians everywhere, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's all churches throughout this age. Then from chapters 4 through the end of the book, we're going to read about the things which will take place after these. You see in proper chronological order, very orderly this book, the church resurrected and raptured, the seven years of the Great Tribulation, the Battle of Armageddon, the second coming of Jesus, the 1,000-year reign of Jesus on the earth called the Millennium, the final judgment of Satan, the fallen angels and non-believing humanity, the destruction of this universe, the creation of a new universe, and finally you get a glimpse at your life in eternity with God. The last two chapters of Revelation are new material that isn't anticipated in the Old Testament, uh, but uh, that, that's how it lays out. So Jesus gave you his commentary, as it were, or his outline for Revelation, and it all unfolds very orderly. This book does gather all Bible prophecy together and make sense of it. And so we understand when the Old Testament writers are talking about the kingdom, we know what it means by looking at the book of the Revelation. It means the 1,000 years that Jesus is on the earth ruling and reigning, and we know when it's going to be. Now, many of the signs and visions of this book came to John through the supervision of an angel. John is the apostle John. He's author of the gospel bearing his name and three New Testament letters. He IDs himself in this book four different times. He's content to call himself a servant. He used the word for a voluntary bond slave, someone who chose slavery out of love for his master. You know, if you get saved, Jesus sets you free from things like sin and death. Uh, pretty exciting. And he's the only one who can do it. And then out of love for him, you voluntarily serve him. 
It's, it's the reasonable thing to do for somebody who has done so much for you and offers you so much. And so John says, I'm just a bond servant. And John was, as most of you know, he was exiled for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was on this island, Patmos. We think he was maybe in a salt mine, working hard all day and then getting these revelations. Uh, but he said, I'm, I'm just a servant, Lord. You know. I mean, John's like, a, we're, you know, we're all like-minded, like-passioned. Uh, John probably thought, what, what am I going to do for the Lord on Patmos? Uh, you know, nobody gets up in the morning and says, I hope today... Serving the Lord, I get sent to Patmos to work in the salt mines. That sounds great. It's just not something that's on your plate, probably. And so here's John uh, on the island of Patmos. He's an old man by that time. He's over 40. And uh, no, I don't know. I don't know how old he was. Pretty old. Uh, stupid jokes sometimes work. You have to admit that. <laughs> anyway, uh, so here's John. And then he's, you know, he's thinking, what am I doing? Do you, you ever think as a Christian, what am I doing? What am I doing here? Why am I at this place in my life? And you and God need to talk about that. You need to be sure you're where he wants you to be, and you can be. But uh, if you are, then just hang out there and see what he wants you to do. And then all of a sudden, John, he seems like he's, in a sense, minding his own business, and then all this revelation starts to come to him. And one of the greatest, uh, I mean, some could argue it's, it's it, well, obviously it's the culmination, it's the capstone of the entire Bible, not just because it's the last book, but because it does draw together everything from previous books uh, that you need to know. And so John is out there now having the time of his life trying to get back to these revelations that God is giving him and the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse two, who bore witness to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. So John received the revelation as the word of God given to him by the testimony of Jesus and he saw it for himself. John will make the claim I heard 28 times in this book or I saw or I looked or I beheld another 49 times. And so he had a personal experience with these things. Verse three, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. There are seven blessings scattered throughout this book, six more after this one. You can find the other six for yourself. Just go to your concordance and look in the book of Revelation for blessing or blessings, and you'll see where they are. They deal with yet future events. But this one is for now. When the Revelation was first delivered to the churches, the pastor would read it, and the Christians heard it, and it was a blessing to them. Uh, what a great, th imagine just, you know, you're hanging out, you're in a New Testament church meeting on Sunday night probably or some other time in a home and all of a sudden, you know, there, there's the regular whatever you did at your meeting and then every once in a while something was said, Here, here's, here's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Read this. And, uh, you know, they would just read through it. I've always been tempted. I, I'm pro I'll probably never do it because people would think it was weird. Well, you would now because you'd think, oh no, go ahead and do it, Pastor Gene. Actually, people would think I hadn't studied that week, but I've, I've often thought, why not why just get up, when, whenever you're going to teach a new book, the, the first week, just get up and read through the whole book. Just read it. It's the Word of God. The Word of God doesn't need any real commentary. Sometimes I think you'd be better off if I did just read the book. <laughs> just come up and be, you know, because we're in America, I tell a joke, but I'm bump, and then just read the book, you know. Or better yet, have Alexander Scoresby read it. We just pipe it in, and you could follow along. You say, what are you guys doing? We're, we're reading the Bible, you know, kind of a thing. But that's what would happen. And, so, and the book says you're going to be blessed when your pastor reads this book to you. He's going to be blessed and so are you.
And if you have an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, this first blessing is yours as well by reading and hearing this book. Here's another way to say this. What if I came to you and said, hey, do you want to be blessed? How would you like to be blessed by God? Well, if you said no, uh, then I'd worry about you. Of course, you're going to say sure. And so then I'm suggesting that we read the Revelation more often. God says if you read this, and he extends it to the church today, it'll be a blessing. If you even hear it, it'll be a blessing. Not reading the Revelation regularly would be like walking out of a movie without seeing the last scene, or reading a book and ignoring the last chapter. I don't know, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of a movie. Almost every movie, you know, the last scene is super important. You can miss some of the beginning part, but if you miss the last scene, you're not going to know what people are talking about. And so this is revelation. But even more than that, it would be to ignore blessing from God. It'd be like having the winning Powerball ticket, knowing that you had it, but never claiming your winnings. It'd be silly to do that. I'd encourage you to read the revelation, at least some of it, uh, every time you read your Bible. Read a chapter a day in addition to your regular reading. Or, or you know, your Bible now is, because we're not as smart as we used to be, uh, it, it breaks it up into passages for you, little paragraph form, three verses here, 10 verses here. So just, just read some of the revelation every day and know that you're going to experience a blessing. It's not magical or mystical. It's not a formula. But does or does not God say, I will bless you for reading this book? He says, I do. So let him do it. And so just add that to your devotions. He says, blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy. The word here is used in a sense that is not uncommon, that of giving attention to or of taking heed to. We could even use the word study. And so get into it, study it. If you want a great place to begin studying, get a copy of a book called, creatively, The Revelation of Jesus Christ by John Walvoord. Now, is it dry? Sure. It's, is it scholarly? Yes, but not hard scholarly. And it's not very big, and, and you'll be amazed. Uh, you'll learn so many things. So uh, there's other books we could recommend. I have <laughs> tapes, you know, or whatever they're called now. But I didn't want to mention my own material with John Wolverd. So anyway, but there's a lot of different... So, you know, if you're going to study something... Study the Revelation once a year at least. Grab a book. I'll recommend several that you could read and get into this thing. And by the way, let's be careful with commentaries. Not all commentators are futurists who approach the Revelation as literal. In fact, just when, the Bible, just when Bible prophecy is unfolding as never before and when non-believers are more obviously interested than they've ever been, a lot of evangelicals are not only overlooking prophecy, they're disdaining it as unimportant. They're putting it to the side in order to teach other things about, you know, how to, they're doing series on how to live and how to do this and how to do that, to pick and choose from the Bible and stuff. And I'm telling you, people out in the world are fascinated with the apocalypse. They can't wait to see the next apocalyptic show and try and figure out how they're going to survive. And, or at least, you know, deal with that. And, and, you know, if you start talking to people about the end times, they're excited about it. It's not a time for Christians to beg off and say, you shouldn't be excited about that. You should be excited about this. I mean, let's go with the flow. These are the times in which we live. And there's so much, 
You know, if you're new here, every Sunday we do a little thing called Prophecy Update. It's about five minutes where we look at the news and see how it maybe lines up with the Bible. We're up near 600 of those. I have to edit them every week. There's so much happening in the world right now. It's insane. Uh, you know, the explosion of knowledge. The, this week's, uh, I'll give you a thumbnail, I think, of next week what I'm gonna do. Scientists, and, and it has to do with DNA and tampering and stuff like that and how it ties into the Bible, but Chinese scientists, I think, have gone crazy because all this stuff's coming out of China. They've put human DNA in macaque monkeys and they're getting smarter monkeys. Have you seen Planet of the Apes, the new series? <laughs> no, that's what they're doing. They are making smarter monkeys. Now, when I was at UC Riverside, they had a macaque monkey colony. It's kind of weird, I know, but as a psychology student, so in comparative psychology, I used to sit there and take notes watching macaque monkeys from the evolution. It was before I was a Christian, and the idea is that in evolution, if you can watch the monkeys, you can figure out why humans evolved the way they did. So, oh, monkey mating with three females, you know, it's weird. It's just weird. But they are some smart monkeys, the macaques. You start giving them some human brain cells and they're going to take over. <laughs> We're going to be wiped. We'd be wiped out and it would be monkeys versus artificial intelligence. I mean, it, it's crazy. Or maybe Godzilla when he comes up. But, you know, these things, there's so much going on. And the average person in the world is watching TV and seeing all these things. And then Christians say, yeah, don't worry about any of that. Let me teach you about your personal finances. That's what you really, and how to tithe. Uh, you know, so if you, you just tithe and don't have debt, you're going to heaven. You know, that kind of a thing. And people, people are losing it. They're, uh, anyway, let's get back into this. That part was free. The time is near. They didn't tell you you have to pay when you leave this morning? No, I'm just kidding. Although that might work. It refers to a specific period of time, one that will be described in great detail in chapters 6 through 18. We know it as the seven-year tribulation. The final three and a half years are really the great tribulation. How is it near? Once again, this does not mean it was about to happen. It is near in the sense that it is next on God's prophetic calendar. We, the church, are expecting the resurrection and rapture at any moment, being imminent. It's not on the calendar the one the prophet Daniel gave to the nation of Israel. How is it reassuring that the tribulation is near? It's reassuring because we know the tribulation prepares the world for the second coming of Jesus. The church doesn't prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus. We don't create a utopia. Uh, they're going to try and it's going to fail. Uh, the tribulation prepares the world for the coming of Jesus. And it's also reassuring because I know that we win in the end, and therefore all the suffering and sadness we endure will be worked together for the good. Avengers Endgame is about to be one of the highest grossing movies of all time. Thanos snapped his fingers in the last movie and half of the life in the universe dissolved into dust. The remaining heroes will undoubtedly find a way to reverse his snap and put things right because that's what heroes do. We're not expecting a snap, we're listening for the sound of a trumpet 1 Thessalonians, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. That's all of your deceased loved ones who knew Christ. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And so that's, that's what's our future. Now here's what I really want to get to. All of this is introduction. 
but it was a long introduction. <laughs> Here's what I really want to get to. And keep those things which are written in it. This is an interesting phrase because immediately you should think, how do I keep future prophecy? How do I keep that? I mean, if, if the Lord said, keep this commandment, thou shalt not murder, well, I understand that, but how can I keep a future prophecy? It's actual, actually very simple. It's choosing to live every day in light of what you know to be true of the future, of this world, and of your personal world. The Apostle Peter alluded to the same kind of thing. After discussing future things, he said, what manner of persons ought you to be? in holy conduct and godliness as you're looking for and hastening the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire and the elements with, uh, will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so Peter said, Here's what, what kind of a Christian should you be? What kind of a person should you be? How should you walk? He says, you should walk in the light of future prophecy, knowing what's going to happen to the world, knowing what's going to happen to you generally, not specifically. You're either going to die and be resurrected at the coming of the Lord, or you're going to be raptured at the coming of the Lord. But either way, you're going to be in the presence of the Lord. Knowing all of that about the world and your world, live accordingly, and that's how you keep prophecy. You, it's as if, you know, to, to you know, use a pun kind of, it's as if you come back from the future all the time to encounter the present. You and I are always coming back from the future that we know to be true in order to live in the present. Lots of times in a sci-fi, a character makes a fortune in the stock market or by betting on some future event because he's come from the future and he knows what's going to happen. We already know the future of this planet. It's headed into an unprecedented time of global catastrophe, not from global warming. It won't be involving zombies. Actually, it involves creatures much worse than zombies. You're gonna, if you're in the tribulation, you're going to wish for zombies, but uh, it's terrible. And I don't mean to joke about it, but it's terrible. Uh, it's account of the wrath of God against sin to save people. In his grace, he's reaching out to the lost to save them. If I was certain of the future, I would have bet on the Cubs to win it all in 2016. I should bet it all, as it were, on the apocalypse. My bet, I want to be serving as I look up waiting for Jesus. That's how you bet on the apocalypse. I'm going to pour myself into serving the Lord right where I'm at, in my home, in my marriage, at my place of work, in the ministry, uh, because I know what's going to happen, and it, it could happen right now in terms of the rapture. And so start thinking of yourself as back from the future. God gave us a big Easter egg about 70 years ago. On May 14, 1948, Israel was born as a modern nation. It was the fulfillment of many prophecies in the Old Testament and a definite sign that the Lord will perform what he has prophesied. If you're not a believer in Christ, the events of the revelation are set. Once the tribulation begins, it's going to proceed as written. If you want to skip ahead and think, all right, what's going to happen? Just start in chapter six with the four horsemen who come out and set the tone for the tribulation and then read through chapter 18. And if it doesn't cause you uh, to shiver with terror and prepare you for chapter 19 where the Lord returns, uh, then you're not reading it sincerely. And so read it and get saved. Uh, 
these shows and these films that give you hope that it can be stopped or that you can survive it are distractions from that truth. They give you a false hope when your hope should be in the Lord. You can avoid it altogether by getting saved. Going through it, no amount of prepping is going to be able to help you. Get saved, then rejoice in a glorious future God has planned for those who love him. The rest of us that are saved, Peter used an interesting term. He said, we should hasten the coming of the Lord. We should speed it up. And, uh, you know, some people are struggle with that. So how can you make the coming of the Lord sooner? Uh, well, in general, I think the one way, the only way I can think of, since the Lord seems to be waiting for something called the fullness of the Gentiles, uh, which is this era in which we live, people getting saved, uh, as, I, as we serve the Lord, people are drawn to Christ, they hear the gospel, they get saved directly or indirectly by our ministries. And at some point, obviously, there's going to be one last person that gets saved before the trumpet sounds. I don't know who that is or where they are, but that, that is going to happen. It's, it's a reality. Somebody gets saved and then God says, that's it, the fullness is in, and uh, I'm, I'm taking the church out, I'm raising the dead, I'm taking the church out right now. We would obviously hasten that by doing more Christian work, right? Because then the gospel's getting out, more people are hearing it, uh, and so again, it's a back from the future sort of a thing. If you're not a, Christ, a Christian, if you're not in Christ, you've never been born again, I want you to listen carefully to what the Lord is saying to you. These are gonna be his words, none of them mine. They are the power of God unto your salvation. Uh, this is just me reading the word of God, sections of it, to people who he loves and is reaching out to to save because you are in your sins, you're dead in your trespasses and sins, nothing can give you life except Jesus Christ. But he can, he can forgive you your sins and give you eternal life. And so listen to this as we close. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray.